For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know that fresh produce is the best produce. That's why at Kroger, we invest in local farmers to bring you seasonal picks that taste fresh from the farm good, like sweet corn, refreshing watermelon, and juicy peaches. So whether you're a delivery lover, a picker-upper, or you shop in-store, your local produce always tastes 100% fresh, or you get a 100% refund guaranteed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Write that, write that down for me, Satan. Write that down for me, Satan. I'm your host, Justin Nipper. I'm editor at FightGameMedia.com, staff writer at WrestlingObserver.com, and F4WOnline.com. Um, apologies for the uh, unusual background noise today. I'm, I had to go back to New York for some family stuff. I'm en route back to California. I'm at the San Francisco airport right now. And to get the show to you on time, I have to record this in a uh, United Airlines lobby. So that's where I am, and that's what the noise is, if you hear it. Uh, otherwise, yes, I'm back with uh, leading author, historian, editor, broadcast journalist, Oracle Professional Wrestling in Japan, Pudo Resu, Mr. Fumisaito. Uh, today, we'll kick off uh, our first part of our next major profile legacy series, which, excuse me, which focuses on Shohei Baba, known widely around the world as Giant Baba, okay? In this dense, dense first episode, we first talked about Baba's experience growing up in Niigata Prefecture in Japan, famous for skiing and lots of snow. And we talked about the onset of his acromegaly in uh, early, like, fifth grade, fourth, fifth grade. Um, later on, we went over how he and Motoko Baba met. Um, Motoko would become his wife until he died, and she also um, would become co-promoter pretty much of uh, all Japan pro wrestling um, playing the bad cop role to Baba's good cop but um, don't worry we will get very deeply into that later on um, after pitching for the Yumiuri Giants for five years or five seasons rather um, Baba would become one of Ricky Dozon's first kind of disciples alongside Inoki the younger Inoki for uh, JWA and a Baba would become Ricky Dozan's golden ace and soon send him over to the Great Togo. Hook up with the Great Togo to work all over the U.S. and Canada regularly in the early 60s. Uh, we also talked about Baba taking on the likes of Buddy Rogers, Bruno San Martino, Luthez, Classy Freddy Glassy, and uh, we talked about Baba the Barefoot Heel in New York, Baba the Giant, who'd go on to work 16 consecutive Madison Square Garden shows back in the day. We also talked about his uh, important relationship 
with Fred Atkins in Toronto towards the end. So that's a lot. We haven't really started yet, so strap in. If you have questions or comments, hit us up via Twitter. I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-R on Twitter, and Fumi is at Fumihiko Dial on Twitter. Without further ado, let's get into part one of Shohei, Giant, Baba. We finished with Inoki last week, and we're going to start with Giant Baba today. So I was thinking where to start. I wanted to ask you, Fumi, I wanted to ask, when did Shohei Baba start becoming a giant? Like, when did he start getting really large? Uh, yeah, just like being? Antonio Inoki, Giant Baba's career or his life's been pretty well documented. You know, mm-hmm. books and books have been written, and he had his own autobiographies more than one and uh, books and books have been written on giant baba in general and uh, yeah his life it's been pretty well documented and uh in his own book he said that he started growing big when he was fourth grade fifth grade okay so yeah, so it means it's like a 10 or 11 right mm-hmm. yeah yeah and okay, he was born in 1938, January 23rd, January 23rd, 1938. <laughs> Before I forget, you know, you know, uh, who, you know, people who watch a preview of this episode, you know, your background is really interesting. That's right. We <laughs> share the same birthday, Giant Baba and I. Uh, he was not 1930. I was not born in 1938, but um, we do share January 23rd. One, two, three. Right. Okay, three that's good. That's good. Yeah, so he was born in 1938. Mm-hmm. And so for younger listeners out there, it's like 1938 sounds ancient, you know. But uh, yeah, so uh, there so was, was a child war. of World War II. Yeah, well, the war was over in 1945, so he would have been still, what, seven, eight? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, years old. And he he grew up in, 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 in the countryside of Niigata, and so the bomb wasn't hit or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Niigata is a kind of a, a mountainous area. It's famous for skiing. Yeah, it snows. Yeah, and all that. Yeah. And grew up as an athlete, naturally. And uh, he played baseball and basketball and he ran. Uh, but the, he couldn't find his shoes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, that the big size 16 Big Boot was, you know, his early finish in wrestling, but in Japan it was like a Juro Kumon, in Japanese, you know, like scale of it. But actually, it was size 16 American shoes. Mm-hmm. But size 16 is really big, huh? That's that's gigantic, yeah. But yeah, naturally he couldn't find shoes that'll fit mm-hmm. as a kid, and he almost gave up on any athletics. You know, because there's no, you know, tennis shoes or sneakers that, that you know, that he can fit. But uh, upon ninth grade or so, that uh, this somebody uh, is a baseball, kind of almost a legend. But uh, his baseball coach ordered the special shoes for him so he could play baseball. Hmm. And you know how big high school baseball is in Japan? It's, um, I would compare it to, I guess, like college football or college basketball in the States. 
it's it's, right, na- right. it's a national it's especially the the, the game culture. in osaka mm. yeah what's Koshin, uh, right yeah it's massive Ma- people right. crying and uh yeah it's just so it's maybe yeah, is well, it the biggest event the sporting event of the year usually in japan in high school level yes or the some every summer like a like a summer story every summer new star is born to be drafted right. into professional baseball the following year or something you know like uh mr otani who is playing in the states now right oh everybody ichiro matsui mm. all these people yeah played high school baseball anyhow he was baseball player and the pitcher mm-hmm. and uh, he entered 1954 one of those high school championship but he didn't make it to the osaka koshien but uh, he was a uh, 11th grade high school pitcher ace pitcher when he was just 16 okay and he didn't make it to the final so he didn't go to the koshien you know the, the national championship but uh, that the giant scout came to him see baseball nbp all right nippon professional baseball league didn't start the draft until 1965 and when Baba was in high school, there was no such thing as draft. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the Giants, to make a long story short, the Giants scout came over to Baba's house and signed him when he was just 16 before his 17th birthday, 11th grade. He didn't even have finished high school all the way to 12th grade. Wow. He went in, went straight to Giants camp the following year, 1955. Right when he turned to seven, turned seventeen. So yeah, he was very promising baseball pitcher. Just he was just as tall then, and he was signed by Giants. Giants is like a New York Yankees, right? Mm. It's like a, the biggest baseball professional baseball team in Japan. So he was like a sports elite, elite, mm. and he was signed and played five seasons with Giants pitcher. 1955, 56, 57, 56, 59. Yes, five seasons he played, but he didn't play really all that well. He only played three major games in all of seven innings and uh, the batter, 26 batters and all these, all these see, baseball statistics is such that uh, his record is still in NBP rec- in the official record, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, to this day. But uh, for five seasons he played uh, for Giants, but he was cut at the end of 1959 season and went into Taiyo Wales Spring Camp. Taiyo Wales uh, is Yokohama Bay Stars now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So uh, he went into Wales. <laughs> Wales is such a name for a baseball team. Huh? Not what you think of when you think of baseball, but yeah. But, hey. Yeah, with the Hiroshima carp. <laughs> yeah, the the carp, uh, but the carp is uh, the, the fish. It's that's yeah. Or the the, the how, how about a Tokyo Yakult swallows? <laughs> kind of cute. But those have yeah. like a, a more significance. Like the carps is what I always see uh, in Japan. It's called Boys Day when they. Uh, like hang the pla- right, right, yeah, it's nylon carbs. Yeah. So, in the context of Japan, I think it makes more sense. But if you don't know any of that, it just seems kind of random to an outsider. Yeah, so it's not St. Louis Cardinals or anything like that. You know? Right, right. 
I mean, yeah, Cardinals the, isn't he, really anything. Uh, look, right, right. Neither here nor there. Oh, the Dodgers. The, the there's so many. I mean, the baseball is, is unique naming, and it's his own culture. And you have the, after Bob Young Baba, 21 year old Giant Baba was cut from you know Giants after five seasons. He was you know he was traded to. Tayo Wales in spring camp of 1959 after the season. That's when he had this bathroom accident. He tripped and cut his left um, uh, elbow, you know, and then cut the major early or something. And uh, the, the legend says he hurt his right arm or right hand, therefore he couldn't pitch anymore. But uh, of, uh, as an official record, Baba himself talks about it in his autobiography, but it was left um, left elbow he got cut in, in the, the cut major earlies. The legend says the right arm was hurt, therefore he couldn't pitch anymore. He gave up baseball. But in the official account, that the, his left elbow was the one that hurt. Okay, and the reason he had to give up the baseball was that. Because he cut the major areas and nerves on his left elbow, his middle finger and uh, and the ring finger was bent permanently, and he couldn't hold the baseball gloves anymore. Ah, okay. You know what I'm saying? So it wasn't so, exactly about pitching, but it did affect his career. Yeah, yeah. It just right. wasn't officially accurate when it came out, right? It wasn't yeah, the right but story arm. always a lot of the stories say he hurt his right arm, therefore he couldn't pitch anymore and he gave up baseball altogether. He was left elbow who, who got permanently damaged. So that's the to correct the legend. But the Baba talks about it in his autobiography. But the age 21 and turned 22 uh in 1960 that that uh this is a, a how he became professional wrestler, that this, including some legends. That there are a few different versions of stories how he became professional wrestler. One account that the uh, previous year that he already had met Ricky Dozen, and Ricky Dozen told him come to wrestling, right? Mm -hmm. Another story. There's a newspaper journalist that. Uh, had you know worked as a middleman that had Baba, young Baba and Ricky Doza meet someplace in Tokyo and had a meeting to become a wrestler. And his autobiography, spring of 1960, he went to Ricky Dozen's Nipponbashi Dojo to meet him all, you know, on his own. But uh, when he went to Ricky Dozan's wrestling dojo, Ricky Dozan wasn't there because he ha he was touring six. He was he had this uh, uh, six-week tour in Brazil, where he met young seventeen-year-old Antonio Inoki and finally discovered him. But uh, in the meantime, Ricky Dozan, uh, I mean Jan Baba Shohei Baba, on his own went to Ricky Dozan's dojo to just you know, to see their practice and workout and all these things and meet with Jan, uh, to uh, meet with Ricky Dozen. But Ricky Dozen wasn't there because of this tour in Brazil. So he went home. So that wasn't the day. But in April 11th, it's an official day in record, okay? 
April 11, 1960, with this big press conference, uh, Ricky Dawson came back from you know, six-week Brazil tour. He introduced two giant rookies, one Shohei Baba, former baseball player, one 17-year-old um, tracks, you know, that uh, discuss uh, or that uh, shot putter star in, in Brazil, uh, Kanji Inoki, 17-year-old. Two rookie were introduced together uh, at this press conference. So the story already started that day. Mm -hmm. Are you following me? And they're kind of like the, the sons or the princes of Riki Dozan, who's the king at the time. Yeah, but uh, I think Riki Dozan looked at, was looking at Baba as a golden rookie mm. you can make money with. Whereas Antonio Inoki, 17-year-old, relatively unknown kid, and also was introduced as Nisei, okay, Brazilian-born Japanese descent. Mm -hmm. and this Second kid generation. Even, you know, he was born in Japan, born in Japan, and born and raised in Japan, and he, you know, with his family, migrated to Brazil to start a coffee farm or something, and in age 14, 15, 17, for three years, he was just there. Well, spoke Portuguese, of course. But uh, Inoki, right from the beginning, he was introduced as he's half Brazilian and half Japanese. And he, this guy, this kid doesn't speak Japanese. So he wasn't even allowed to speak Japanese in front of the public. Mm. That's like a mysterious beginning, you know, like almost a fiction, fictitious <laughs> story to start with. But whereas Jan Baba was introduced to press as this guy, uh, probably many of you know, he's a former Yomiuri Giants baseball player. And he was a giant pitcher. He's going to start. And that was April 11th of 1960. And same day, those Baba and Inoki were introduced to the public. Then September 30th of same year, both Baba and Antonio, uh, not Antonio Inoki yet, uh, Kanji Inoki and Shohei Baba, they both debuted the same day at the Taito Taikan. Uh, the Tokyo spot show, they call it spot show. Then, I mean, any shows with, without TV, they used to call it spot show or uh, the live event or whatever that uh, they debuted. But the, the video footage doesn't exist. Okay. Oh, of course, the rookie debut match. Inoki lost to Kintaro Oki, um, well known as uh, Kintaro Oki, but he was from Korea. His real name is Kim Il. He beat you know, 17 year old Inoki with his arm lock, whereas Jan, uh, the Shohei Baba beat uh, Katsura Hama or Yonetaro Tanaka with his pretty much the, the one sided, like in here, you know, like uh, almost like a TV match from your know, America, 80s America match that the Baba beat some, I mean, you know, washed up veteran so easily that he makes good debut. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. 
What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, are you? Yeah. So yeah, are you so with he, me? He, Baba came in um, with a, sort of a, an advantage. I mean, they uh, they weren't the same age. Well, they were similar ages. He was a little five, five years, always five years older. But Baba uh, being twenty two, and Inoki seventeen. But Baba also had the experience performing and and playing sports in front of people. Yeah. What and, similar was that? that uh, Baba was already a professional athlete when he was 17 as baseball player mm -hmm. and had five seasons already. And he was already 22. See, when you was 22 and when you're 20, uh, 17, there's a big difference in five years. Spotify, Apple, Downcast, Nara no Gorio, Platform, the Viking Media Network, Okoto, Urufu Itarakeru, Tatskoraimas. Arigatozaimas. Hi, everyone. If you haven't already, please, if you can, subscribe to the Viking Media Network feed on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Downcast, wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe, because it really helps us out. That's all you got to do. And if you're really feeling frisky, go over to fight, uh, patreon.com backslash fight game media. So you have the entire archive of all of our episodes, write that down, plus all the archives of all of our other awesome shows that we've been putting out for a year right now. So Okay, quick plug, back to the show. Yeah, so we were talking about Baba and Inoki and the age difference between them and how it kind of uh, colored the relationship between the two. Right from the beginning, yeah, mm -hmm. five-year difference. 22-year-old Shohei Baba and 17-year-old Kan Kanji Inoki then. Mm. So Inoki was the one who was looking at Baba like, this guy's going to be my rival. Mm -hmm. Whereas... Baba didn't really look at Inoki as like, like he didn't really be too conscious about it. Mm. He just gave up his five-year professional baseball or giant's career and uh, wanted to choose wrestling because he his parent or mother came to Tokyo and asked him to go back to Niigata to do his uh, vegetable in the farm in the market. Mm -hmm. And the 22-year-old Baba was like, wasn't about to go home then. Right. And also, he writes that uh, on his autobiography that he's just too ambitious. That and also going back to hometown, like you go home like a failure, right? Mm, yeah. And then also with his size, you know, well, he um, so much like Under the Giant story that that uh, on on Under the Giant side that the people pretty much openly talk about Aglomeria that, you know, he, he had this body, you know, physical condition to grow mm -hmm. so big. 
you know, genetically. And Baba's part, that part hasn't been really emphasized, but obviously being that big, right? And, uh, you know, all these legends come with it that the, the shoes doesn't fit or he never found clothes that fits or that he was the biggest boy, always biggest, you know, biggest boy in, in town or school or just being looked at. And the being big became his somewhat a complex, right? Right. Yeah. It's, be, it's and, everyday. Uh, he has to deal with all this stuff that other people don't have to deal with. Um, yeah, and then uh, get in a train or mm-hmm. get on the bus or go to regular room or eat anything. Yeah, anything. Mm-hmm. Or he's being looked at or become very famous boy in his hometown, right? Shopping for clothes. Uh, oh, all overseas. Right, right. Yeah, or before that, I mean, as a kid, even as a kid, or the yeah. teenage, oh. or going to baseball for five seasons, but he didn't really, really make it as a big, huge baseball superstar, you know. But he was pretty much semi-famous, you know, being salt tall and big, and the Giants pitcher, a giant kid pitching for Giants, you know. And uh, the movie company approached him in the meantime to become an actor, hmm. and. Uh, yeah, and also he had he had his other dreams to be working for a publishing company that he'll become a book writer or book editor or something. And also had another dream of becoming a travel agent. You know what I'm saying? So like he H-I-S? had quite a few, <laughs> not that, but in the late 50s into 1960s, traveling overseas on the airplane was like, a, I mean, just a big deal, right? Right. It was, uh, yeah, it's a, there's so much work to do. So it had to be its own um, standalone industry. Yeah. Yeah. And then he had his yes, uh, other dream of becoming a travel agent in, in run, run the company and such and all these things. He was too young and too ambitious to go, go back to Niigata. Mm. And that's, that is why that I kind of believe that uh, one of the theories that uh, sometimes at the end of 1959 or the early 1960, that Ricky Dozen approached him, why don't you rest to be a wrestler, right? Mm-hmm. And but this is like I don't know why, but there's always been quite a few different theories as to how he became professional wrestler. That Ricky Dozen and Bob must have met uh, to get sure. the idea. Yeah, and there's always news, you know, journalist story that the, this famous sport writer approached both Baba and Ricky Dozen to make this happen. And once one account, Jan Baba's own autobiography is insisting that he went to Ricky Dozen's dojo in spring of 1960 on his own. So mm. that, yeah. Maybe John Baba and this sport journalist had a falling out. I don't know. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because a lot of people want to take credit who discovered John Baba. I'm sure. Yeah. So the myth kind of remains. But all in all, April 11th uh, of 1960 at Ricky Dozen's dojo, young 22-year-old Shohei Baba and young 17-year-old Kanji Noki were both introduced as rookie. Mm-hmm. And got picture taken. That photo still exists to this day. And both Jan, uh, not Jan Baba, I should say Shohei Baba and Young Kanji Noki both debuted the same day, September 30th. 
Yeah. September 30th. Of 1960. That was their first match. And their last match, Inoki's last match, April 1998, Baba's last match, December 1998. So they had the same length of wrestling career, active wrestling career, too. Is that interesting? Amazing. Yeah. It's oh god. I yeah. can't think of any other situation in pro wrestling where it's that where these yeah, two parallels. are so connected. I mean, even to the day. Yeah, know? yeah. And then one style of wrestling. So we in Japanese wrestling industry, we always had Baba school of professional wrestling, Inoki school of professional wrestling. They mm-hmm. conducted business so differently. Not because they're rival, but the philosophies were different, mm-hmm. you know. Philosophy, and, yeah. Yeah, and the way they looked at America as, you know, of course, the Mecca or that uh, that uh, you, anything to do with professional wrestling, you have to have strong connection with America, right? Hmm. Yeah, because it's, 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 it's a sport entertainment uh, genre business that came to Japan after the war. And Ricky Dozan was post-war, you know, Japanese national hero and also the very first television hero. Yeah, and, you know, uh, actually, we should mention the day we're recording this. It's a couple days past, but it's it was a pro wrestling day in Japan. The first the Ricky Dozan's match with uh, the Sharp Brothers. Uh, Sharp Brothers, yeah, yeah, Ricky Dozan and Masahiko Kimura mm-hmm. against Sharp Brothers. Interestingly enough, that the Japanese professional wrestling started was tag team match mm. instead of a single competition. See, when you think about important single match, I mean important wrestling match, you're always single match, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a title match, right? Or the big superstar against big superstar. But uh, interestingly enough, Jap- in Japanese public, professional wrestling was introduced as tag team match, mm. and the concept of somebody jobbing, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, king of judo. Then uh, Masahiko Kimura was the one taking fall. In same 1954, the same year. Okay, wrestling day was that at uh, a couple of days ago. Yes, we still have that in calendar. It was beginning of Japanese pro wrestling, professional wrestling, and also basically beginning of television culture. Mm. It's always been the killer content of television. Television made wrestling famous, and fam- uh, professional wrestling made television famous. Mm. Yeah, like a lot of people bought the t- first TV set so they can watch wrestling. But a lot, a lot like 1950, 1948, 1950s, gorgeous Joji, right? Mm, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, again, it parallels. Yeah. Now, I have a question for you. From, I, I wanted yeah. to ask, at around this time when Baba was getting started, and like you were saying in the earlier, in 54 and onwards, TV was growing so quickly. It was getting so popular with everyone and, and with wrestling as well. Was Baba a fan? Was he a fan of pro wrestling at the time? Or was he just coming uh, in? As he, a, yeah. I'm sure he watched it, you know. Mm-hmm. But he was so focused when you were 17, 18, 19, 20 years old that you were already a baseball, uh, that the Giants pitcher, right? Mm. That uh, I'm sure he watched wrestling, but never really thought he him becoming one, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I have to point out when he was 17, the first, you know, spring camp, 1957 then, probably. Uh, that was the spring baseball training, spring camp, where Shohei Baba met Motoko. Ah, okay. 17-year-old 
Shohei Baba and 15-year-old Motoko already met during the spring, spring camp in Akashi, Kobe. That's Motoko's hometown. Mm-hmm. Her parents were friends with, you know, rich parents, were friends with baseball players. They, you know, the baseball player came to, you know, their house to eat or something. And rookie Jan Baba was among those baseball players who came to Motoko's parents' house to sit down and eat. So mm. th- there was a connection. And Baba's first impression, you know, already, Motoko made a handmade slipper for 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 Shohei Baba because ah. he's was, yeah it was famous that his feet are so big that no shoes would fit and walking you know you you've been to Japan that the, you take off your shoes when you come into Japanese home it's a even bigger issue it's not I mean it, of course everywhere <laughs> we take off our shoes but it's um it's it's everyday life you you you're not, in Japan inside, you take you take your shoes off. You hundred percent. It's muscle memory. You, you shouldn't even be thinking about it. Those shoes should be off as soon as they're in the door because it's going to be a big, in Japan, big deal if it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you step up. It's not on the same level. You know, like, uh, you step up into your, somebody's house, you know, it's like about a foot high, right? High mm-hmm. and enter entrance. And Jab, Jan, and I keep saying Jan, but it's a Shohei Baba, young 17-year-old Jan, uh, Shohei Baba. You take his shoes off and then walk into Motoko's parents' house, right? Mm-hmm. Then that was when they met 17-year-old Shohei Baba and 15-year-old Motoko. And Motoko prepared her handmade slipper for Shohei. He's like a reverse Cinderella. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they um, they kept in touch, but uh, they didn't become couple for another couple, three, four years. But I'll get to that, okay? Mm. Yeah. Anyhow, the but Baba's career starts, okay, in in, in nineteen sixty, and summer of nineteen sixty one, only one year later, he was sent to America already. Wow, that's pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say, you know, most of the American wrestling fan even know that, uh, that the, what do you call that? That the send up and send, send young, you know, promising, you know, tomorrow's star to abroad. When you go on an excursion. Excursion, there learning, you go. Learning excursion. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like that for Baba's case. He was booked by Great Togo in California. He they, they already made plan to have him headline all over America. Rookie though, but uh, he was not there to, you know, learn or, or, or pick up the trade or, you know, he was booked as like a star wrestler already then. He didn't go to America all by himself. He had uh, that uh, Yukio Suzuki, another rookie, Mammoth Suzuki and Yoshino Sato with him, but they went to different, you know, se- separate path. But uh, Shohei Baba, or I should say Baba the Giant, you know, in New York, he was booked and managed by Great Togo. Great Togo, you know, like a big, big time hero from California. You know, your stereotype Japanese post-war hero. He's smiling and bowing and salt throwing and sneak attacking the Pearl Harbor kind of heel. I mean, like a typical 
stereotypical Japanese hero, right? But he acted as a manager. He looked at Baba and saw money, right? Mm. So, so he, yeah, he's, Baba the Giant's booking was handled much like Under the Giant 10, 15 years later. It wouldn't be booked in one territory, but you travel from territory to territory. You headline cards. Yeah. So Great Togo, was he an American? Was he? he yeah, he's an American. Second so, generation. Yeah. Okay. So so he's parent, he's, yeah. He spoke his English. And... From, of course, of course. He's mm. an American citizen. Great Togo's parents came from Okayama, Japan. They migrated. Uh, from Kansai, the uh, Kansai area. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, from like a 1920s or something, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah but um, there was an experience. You know, President Biden just talked about just the other day. There was a concentration camp during the war, right? Right. If you looked like Japanese, you'd be in camp, you know? Mm. I mean, there was Internment a the product camp, of yeah. wartime. Yeah, product of wartime. Great Togo's parents and himself experienced that. Because mm. you look like Japanese, you know, and you are carrying Japanese culture. But Great Togo himself was born and raised in America. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so at this time, so like you said, he wasn't uh, being brought, Baba, that is, he wasn't being right. brought in uh, to learn how to become a star. He was brought in to get over because he was already, he already had a bit of experience as an athlete. He was a yeah, giant. One, and also, also one year experience as a wrestler in Japan. Right, yeah. right. And he was like a marketable enough to be booked all over different territories. Sure. Everyone loves a giant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was that, that uh, he actually toured America before there was such thing as WWE or I should say Worldwide Wrestling Federation, WWWF. WWWF wouldn't start until 1963, you know, mm -hmm. Bruno Martino against Buddy Rogers, right? Mm -hmm. But he was touring New York area before WWWF was there. But the promoter was Vince McMahon Sr., I should say Vincent James McMahon, father of today's Vince McMahon. So he wasn't involved with the NWA initially then? Uh, NWA was like uh, an alliance, right? Mm -hmm. That the different territory had a membership of NWA. NWA was an entity of but like uh, clusters of a whole bunch of, you know, local or regional promoters, you know, that the you become member of NWA, therefore you share world heavyweight champion like Luthes, you know, or Barry Rogers, Parakana. You know, they traveled territory, one territory to another territory to defend their world heavyweight title. I'll get to that. Mm. But the Giant Baba toured, you know, the New York, Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Philadelphia, East Coast area where the, before WWWF, of course, before WWE, that uh, uh, they were running much like WWWF will become, okay? Vince McMahon Sr.'s territory. And they were running monthly extravaganza at Madison Square Garden, by yeah, run by Vince Sr. at the time. Does that make sense? 
Vince so, Senior hmm. started out as Washington DC's promoter. That's why his first company was called Capital Wrestling Promotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, he was also a promoter of Madison Square Garden. There was like a historically, see, like back in like in eighteen seventies, you know, into nineteen nineteen hundred to nineteen tens and nineteen twenties, different promoters ran Madison Square Garden. By then, 1950s, it was Vince McMahon, senior. Yeah. So um, uh, what's interesting is though <clears throat> that uh, Jan, uh, Shohei Baba, <clears throat> before well, like uh, in a few weeks, he would become Baba the Giant. He would get, you know, uh, uh, he would arrive in America July 1st of 1961. Okay. The day before that, June 30th, Buddy Rogers, Nature Boy Buddy Rogers beat Pat O'Connor to become NWA World Heavyweight Champion at Comiskey Park in Chicago. So while John Baba was traveling, you know, making his first tour, Buddy Rogers was world champion. Okay. And young Baba the Giant had eight title match against Buddy Rogers all over America. Wow. Right out, like two years into his career. He was already headlining America, yeah. Mm. And uh, it's sometimes it's really hard to. It's not baseball, it's not NFL football, so it's like it all. It's all up to uh, his, you know, like a private historians, you know, that how they find these wrestling results, you know. And there were wrestling historians in, in America that, that who did all kinds of research that how Jan Baba traveled, you know. And uh, there was like a eight title match between Giant Baba and Buddy Rogers between year 61 into 62. Now, yeah. for the most part, what were the types of finishes that they were doing with these? Uh, Buddy Rogers going over. Yeah. Uh, clean or was it like a, like, a, did he, did oh, Baba that is lose? so hard to, yeah, it's like I cannot, I couldn't find the, detailed results you know but mm-hmm. uh, there's a like a whole bunch of, the historians you know the, the legendary wrestling historians that came way before us mm. <laughs> you know they there are people who you know did all the newspaper clipping collections and uh, made their own results and uh, records and all these things i respect that but it's so hard to find detailed finish on this account you know but uh Seemingly, there were eight title matches between Buddy Rogers and Jan, uh, Baba the Giant that year, 61 into 62. In New York area, um, so see, ja, uh, Baba the Giant, or Shohei Baba, uh, he spent one year in four months period in mainland America, you know, until that means uh, like uh, spring of 1962 then. September of yeah September of 61 to sometime spring of 1962 one year and four months period Baba the Giant traveled all over the place and also in between Jan this is a record Baba the Giant Baba the Giant worked 16 consecutive months at Madison Square Garden wow see now that uh, see, today's you know WWE landscape, Madison Square Garden once a month big show isn't much of a big deal, right? 
now it's, I think, once a year, maybe, or twice a year. Yeah, right, right. But uh, all the way till like 1980s, you know, the once a month uh, Madison Square Garden thing was a huge deal. You know, mm. it was like a premier red carpet of introducing a new title match. Bruno Sammartino against somebody or Pedro Morales or somebody, all the way to Bob Backlund era, right? Mm -hmm. That uh, you have new challenger and then challenge first match, probably challenger go over and then count out finish. And second, you know, meeting at the Madison Square Garden, usually um, either double count out or, or the no contest, no finish finish. And the third month, the, the babyface champion, if it's San Martino or Pedro Morales or Bob Backlund for that matter, the third meeting, they settle the score. They were doing that for, formula uh, for a long time. And Madison Square Garden match was your premier, you know, then the same matchup, same card, whether it's, um, I don't know, the Bob Backlund against Dom Rock or somebody that the, you uh, start from Madison Square Garden and you go on to Baltimore, the Washington DC or Philadelphia or Maryland, you know, they basically run same match around the horn in the East Coast area. Mm -hmm. And Baba wore 16 consecutive Madison Square Garden match and close to main event status. <clears throat> That's a big deal. I mean, like you said, it, the MSG shows where if you were in the East Coast in New York, that's where you go to see the big stars. That's where all the, yeah, yeah, that's what everything right. was happening on the East Coast. And for him uh, to, yeah, 16 in a row, that's, that's quite a lot for, especially for 16 somebody. 16 months only, in a row. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 14 months in a row. Whether it's, <clears throat> he had single match against people like Antonino Rocca. Mm -hmm. Young Bruno Sammartino before he was WWF champion. Um, big baby face Bobo Brazil mm. or somebody like Edouard Carpentier Another giant. or Killer Kowalski. Yeah. Ah, so he Jean had, Did he have any? No, Killer, 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 Killer Kowalski. Kowalski. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Gene, Baba Leron had program against Gene Kaniski, yes. So Baba always had the superstar single match lineup. Already oh. the second year in. What were the was the reception at MSG for the most part? Were it with people uh, support? Oh, obviously, or... I wasn't there. Well, but, I mean, uh, uh, in general, when you read about it, was he perceived like a heel? Was he like a babyface heel, giant? Like heel? Oh, he was heel. a heel. Yeah, he yeah. was a heel. Japanese. Okay. Well, I think uh, all through sixties to seventies, even way into eighties, Japanese wrestler meant heel right away. Right, right, right off the bat, and he was a giant heel at that. And if you have great Togo, somebody like great Togo in, in your corner, of course you're heel. Sure, sure. Yeah, or the single match against Luthes, yeah, you're heel. In, in New York especially, I mean, yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, so Baba the Giant had single match program against real superstar Antonino Rocca, right? And Italian hero Bruno San Martino, Af African hero Boba Brazil, French-Canadian hero, Edouard Carpentier. Oh, Kirakowski, it sounds like heel, but uh, they had single matches too. So mm. those were like uh, existing superstars, right? At the time. So Giant Baba all, all never had first match position. He kind of came in with an advantage compared with Inoki, you could say. Yeah, like uh, Andre the Giant before there was Andre the Giant. Sure, 
Yeah. Yeah. And when you looked at, you know, 80s and 90s Baba's videos, it didn't look as much athletic. <laughs> but uh, no, you have to imagine, <clears throat> yeah, 23, 24-year-old Jan Baba, young Jan Baba, very athletic. Mm. And uh, some um, black and white film exists, things like uh, Baba the Giant against people like Hans Schmidt, oh, German okay. heel. So that version of Baba must be babyface, huh? Must so it's have really been, hard yeah. To, yeah, it's so really hard to see that either Baba was labeled as heel or, or babyface. Probably mm. depends on where he went. Because between these East Coast tours, he, every couple, three months, he had this um, Chicago International Amphitheater uh, big match lineup, too. Another wrestling capital of America at the time. Mm, yeah, Chicago, yeah, International Amphitheater. And also, so, uh, Montreal was a huge wrestling market. Mm. And also, the uh, Columbus, Ohio, and Detroit, you know, the Detroit Olympia. The building doesn't exist anymore, but the, those are the stop, uh, big, huge event, big match, you know, stop that the Jan Baba was making. Probably only worked big shows, huh? Seems like it. Seems like he was, uh, he came in and he was more or less a, a headline or, or, or like an upper card guy. And yeah, and it seems the big stars like the NWA promoters shared Baba's marketability or something, you know, that, uh, you know, much like later on under the giant that you travel from one territory to another and the Baba the giant come in, that's your big show. Mm. Yeah. And, and uh, so the title that the body, for instance, Baba body Rogers title match took place in like places like Philadelphia, Ohio, Baltimore, in different place, it could be same match, right? Sure. I mean, yeah. today's understanding of this business, and that there was, I mean, no internet or not even the facts that the news traveled very slow then. I mean, not just wrestling, but everything. So it didn't come off like it was the same match every night. It was right. fresh. And, right. And also cable TV, such as cable TV thing, wouldn't come out until 1980s. And traditionally, main event wrestling was never televised there around that time period. Right. You have to go to the building to watch that extravaganza. It was very and, special, more special than, uh, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, going to everywhere. live live event. Yeah. And also from, from, uh, from Baba's book, it looks like he drove all over the place instead of flying. Right, yeah, we were talking about that earlier. He <laughs> didn't fly. He was uh, he he traveled around the states in a in on a his Lincoln Continental. Way. Lincoln Continental, yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. So, but so was the original Sheik, or people like you know Dick the Bruiser, or is the old-fashioned wrestler promoters? They all drove all over the country, hmm. all the way to people like Harry Race. Well, later, you know, early Hurley Race, of course, traveled on the plane first class. But old-fashioned wrestler always drove across the country. Yeah, it was the style. That was the way. Yeah, because there was a uh, that in in one of the <clears throat> Baba's essay, 
there was a time after Madison Square Garden match, he got on his car and drove down to Florida. Oh my gosh, how long, right? <laughs> it's got to be at least 10, 12 hours. Or day and a half. At least, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's but pretty that's adventurous. Like the, we have to romanticize that. Uh, that the, at, in 60, early 60s into 70s, you know, more people drove across the country and you make stop at motels or you eat at restaurants and you just drive endless miles on this, you know, nothing f- but freeways. That's very America. Mm. Route 66. Mm-hmm. I guess, yeah, yeah. So Baba lived that, you know, period of time and became very international-minded person. And also... He must have learned the language then. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure he had to have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this was probably his, he didn't, like you said earlier, he didn't go to university after high school. He didn't even finish high school, but this was kind of like his college education, you could say. Yeah. And then studying abroad, huh? Mm, exactly. And exactly. learning business too. And also learned his mannerism and his, um, dignified way of doing business, like what like a handshake meant between wrestlers. Did, uh, no. did Bob, oh, yeah. so go ahead. Go, oh, I was going to ask, did Baba have any, uh, as time went on, as he kept going to the States, did he have any types of mentor in America or anybody that worked I'll with him? I'll get to that, yeah. Oh, okay. I'll get to that. <clears throat> After one year and four months in uh, in in East Coast area and also Midwest area, including places like Chicago and Detroit and all that, uh, Ohio, he had three months period in LA, Los Angeles before he went and you know, came back to Japan for the first time. It was WWA in, in Los Angeles, Juice Strombos, WWA. A lot of people say it's a World Wrestling Association or Alliance, and some logo says Worldwide Wrestling Associates, but we always called it WWA. It's like a spin-off of Luther's belt. In 1957, uh, there was a NWA split, right? That in Chicago, Edward Carpentier beat Luther's, and in Chicago and Montreal, Edward Carpentier was recognized as world heavyweight champion in the other territory, NWA territory, Luthes kept traveling as a champion. Okay. Mm. And Luthes dropped the belt in Boston to Killer Kowalski. Another world heavyweight championship was, you know, created <clears throat> in LA in 1961, I believe. Uh, he, uh, Luthes dropped the title to Freddie Blassie. Therefore, WWA was created and he is that uh, it's just different lineage, you know, lineage of world heavyweight title. Wherever Luthes went, he went into territory as world heavyweight champion or international heavyweight champion, whether it's NWA or not. When Luthes comes in, he is world heavyweight champion. Are you with me? Mm. And therefore, mm. yeah, therefore, WWA was created in West Coast. And it was a pretty big territory, you know, that the, uh, Actually, Ricky Dawson pretty much affiliated with California, right? All through his career. See, the St. Louis, Missouri, or Madison Square Garden, New York City was too far, almost too far away in 1960s. 
most of the American superstars in that period came from California or Hawaii. Was that or, the belt? Is that the belt that Ricky Dozon brought back or, or he shot with the press, the WWA belt that kind of thin? Yeah, yeah, one? the beating pretty blassy. And he, yeah, there was a uh, the 1962 program. Ricky Dozan went to LA Olympic Auditorium and the beat Freddie Blassie to become champion and brought the title back. And Freddie Blassie came to Japan and the title defense was made. And Ricky Dozan defended the title. And following month, uh, Ricky Dozan went back to states. And another matchup, Freddie Blassie against Ricky Dozan at the Olympic Auditorium, blood in a stoppage. And the referee called the match. Therefore, they uh, that uh, uh, the title was back to Freddie Blassie and Ricky Dozen didn't really lose clean in the middle of the match, uh, middle of the ring, one, two, three, but lost the title. There was a program. But the WWA was world heavyweight title in Japan for you know for a period of time. The, the N- name NWA was never mentioned. Although 1957, in the middle of a controversy, Luthes came to Japan for the first time and they had the Luthes against Ricky Dozen match. World did not mention NWA, but World heavyweight title match at the Korakuen Stadium, 96. But the, back to this WWE thing that uh, Baba spent three, four months in spring of 1962 and had a program against uh, Freddie Blassie and Dick Bayer Destroyer. At the time, WWE World Title was always, you know, that uh, going back and forth between Freddie Blassie and the De- Destroyer. Mm. Yeah, and the the Baba challenged Destroyer's WWE title in Los Angeles, the Bakers, the San Diego, and whatnot. It's California, you know, territory. Then came back to Japan. So he first trip, first trip was like one month and eight months. He never came back for almost two year period then made debut back as Giant Baba officially. Mm-hmm. No Shohei Baba from that point on. 1963. <clears throat> so only a few years into his career, this is where he made that, that big uh, transformation when he came back. Yeah, uh, March 17th, 1963 to be exact, that uh, the fifth annual World League Tour, you know, the spring, you know, singles tournament tradition, now it's, you know, champion carnival in all Japan, right? Mm-hmm. But it's the same idea. Every spring, or oh, IWGP tournament for that matter. Yeah. Every spring there was uh, the big, huge single tournament called World League uh, Championship Tournament. And that was the fifth annual uh, that the Baba came back as a big star. Ricky Dozen's still there though, okay? So he came in and had, uh, you know, this, there was... Uh, oh, at the Haneda Airport before Narita Airport. Okay, there was a big press conference that uh, Ricky Dozen welcoming Giant Baba's you know return and announcing that that uh, announcing that the Giant Baba will be participating in the fifth annual World League tournament, right? And there was one year in eight months period, <clears throat> it was announced Giant Baba had 502 matches. With, against people like Barry Rogers, Antonino Rocca, the Bruno San Martino, the Kira Kowalski, the Bobo Brazil, the Haystack Calhoun, all these things in only last five matches. 
fiction. <laughs> you know, much like Rick Dawson's return, you know, years ago that, uh, yeah, Rick Dawson had 260 matches and only lost to Leon Amelini and Tom Rice and Fred Atkins. That's it. And all the tag team, my partner lost. Something like that. So Baba, oh, more for that matter, Ricky Dawson announced it. This giant Baba had 502 matches and only lost handful matches. He's a big, huge superstar. And, uh, and with my research, uh, this one year in eight months period, I think ba uh, Baba only had about 390 matches instead of 502 matches. <laughs> but that's a trivia thing. You know, then uh, I don't know if my research is accurate enough, you know. But uh, all in all, Jan Baba had this golden tour in America for one month, uh, one year in an eight month period, and always headlined. Always headlined. And years later, Inoki went to what, the LA, Oregon, Tennessee, and, and, and Kansas a little bit, Houston a little bit never really headlined right and it wasn't the big uh territory like madison square garden or montreal or zibaba traveled big territories whereas inoki you know went in wherever they would take him you know and he wasn't main eventing these shows either he was more of a, like at the attraction. time right right and baba always headlined and also i think that this first one year in the eight months period he really started st studying how to run wrestling show, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. As a promoter, as a booker, or how to make connection, personal connection with headliners, you know? And how important handshakes are when you don't have written contracts like today's business. So 1963 was also the year that Ricky Dozon passed away. Yeah, I'll get to that. Uh, Baba stayed about six months, and in and, and the fall, uh, I think October of, or November of this 1963, he went back to another long tour to America. How long was that? That was maybe uh, six months again? Uh, seven, eight months, yeah. Okay. Until spring of... 64 right right <clears throat> he went to ontario canada canada this time that's his that's who his home base was ontario Can canada and he stayed with his mentor fred atkins fred atkins yeah fred atkins was actually uh, not on record but uh, i believe he, fred atkins was really, really close uh, with Ricky Dozen. I see. Yeah, in the Ricky Dozen's touring photos with Great Togo and other people in, you know, like in American, you know, like the photos we see now, Fred Atkins in the picture already I oh, mean, okay. for some reason. Yeah. So uh, he acted as Baba's manager and also was coach of Baba. Hmm. And Baba did not, you know, wasn't staying in hotel. Uh, this second trip back to America, well, Canada this time, but Ontario, Canada, Baba was staying with Fred Atkins at his cabin in, in Lake Ontario. Hmm. 
pretty different yeah. lifestyle from Tokyo, huh? Right, right. But uh, he was like Fred Atkins was a big time coach. You know, they make you work like a football coach. You know. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, Baba was an athlete, big athlete. Yeah. I mean, people, yeah, of course, we can go on Google or YouTube and you can see he he, he was in great shape for his uh, his size. And it, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, the, the sixes match. I mean, he moved well. You know? sure. Yeah. I mean, people have this strong Baba, you know, like this, you know, video image of 80s into 90s, like, like being old, but never retired kind of thing. And yeah. also having like a six man tag team situation every Comedy night, matches. almost comic. Yeah. yeah, right. Because it was Baba's philosophy. Professional wrestlers don't retire. You know what I'm saying? You're hmm. the icon. Right. You will be in front of the audience. Whereas Antonio Inoki, even aged Antonio Inoki, had to headline until the end. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, it's a different philosophy to that. Yeah. Now, back to this Fred Atkins. Kind of useless trivia, but uh, Fred Atkins trained Taiga Jit Singh and late 70s Adrian Adonis. Hmm. Interesting, huh? Those are all pretty, I mean, pretty important figures in in oh, in professional wrestling. wrestling. Yeah, yep, yep. And Freddie Atkins, you know, never had wrestling school like you you have now. You know, wrestling school, you sign up and what, pay two thousand dollars or something, and you come in like, you know, kind of like you just kind of learn, right? Sure. Old-fashioned professional wrestler never had those wrestling school or didn't even take trainees. Unless you're like recognized as somebody or somebody promising. Ricky Dawson basically asked Fred Atkins to take Baba and train him again, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was December of 1963. Baba was already in Ontario, Canada. Like I, like we said, news traveled so slow, right? Right. That the, the news of Ricky Dawson passing came from Fred Atkins. Three days later, somebody from Japan got the news and uh, told Great Togo, right? And Great Togo called Fred Fred Atkins. And Baba got the news from Fred Atkins. So young, what, the 25-year-old Baba have to sit down and think, should I go home now or should I stay? Hmm. Right? And Great Togo told Jan Baba at the time, it was said, that uh, don't go back to Japan. Wrestling business will die. After, you know, with Ricky Dozan passing. I mean, Ricky Dozan passing. There's no, I mean, the landscape will, will be different, that the wrestling will probably won't be around to any, you know, too long. With, without Ricky Dozan, wrestling business in Japan will die. Stay in Japan. I'm staying in America. That's what Great Togo told, told Baba. And I think at the time, Great Togo promised Jan Baba NWA World Heavyweight Champion run, and he wanted to become manager. Mm-hmm. You know, that the NWA World Heavyweight Champion was like a, almost like an election between hmm. NWA promoters who they will cho- you know, choose to become your World Heavyweight Champion. Therefore, all the local territory within America can share that World Heavyweight Champion, right? Mm. And share that purse too. 
Yeah, local territory like Georgia, Florida, the Pensacola, the the north, you know, northern South Carolina, the Tennessee. All these places did not have world heavyweight champion. NWA world heavyweight champion will come to you maybe a couple three times a year. And when the NWA world heavyweight champion come to your town, that's all big extravaganza, right? Mm. And I think at the time. NWA had the proposal that the, let's make Baba the Giant your traveling world champion. And Great Togo wanted to have a big slice of cake to slice a pie too, right? Mm, of course. And yeah, and told Giant Baba to stay in America, stay in America, you know, or make you NWA world champion. And you have at least one year run as a champion. Mm. So if Baba took that and, and, and you know, became NWA world heavyweight champion, if that, right? Uh, that's all big what if, but he would have one year or so run as NWA World Heavyweight Champion in America. But he didn't take that. And he asked Fred Atkins. I think Jan Baba at the time trusted Fred Atkins over Great Togo. Hmm. Yeah. And Fred Atkins apparently said, he told Baba, stay here and think. <laughs> you know? Sure. Yeah, okay. yeah, but uh, yeah, he kept traveling, and you know, fr from Ontario, Canada, he tr still traveled into states, you know, just like the last time that uh, he worked New York, Ohio, the Philadelphia, the Baltimore, the Boston, the Detroit, uh, all these, you know, the, the Northeast, Midwest territory as headliner. Then, this, then uh, upon his return. Upon his return, he challenged three different world heavyweight championship champion. Who were already they? Uh, WWF world champion Bruno San Martino, mm -hmm. NWA world champion Luthes, mm -hmm. and WWA world champion Freddie Blassie. Three different title match at the three different territories. Three very different wrestlers too. Oh yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But stars, of, of big stars. See, in uh, the prior, you know, to that, that the first during the first traveling uh, to the states and spent one year and eight months period, he had eight title match against Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. Right, mm -hmm. that news never got to Japan hmm. because Ricky Dozen at the time told the Japanese press to not to report it. Because, what was the reason for that? Yeah. Because Ricky Dozen himself and Freddie Blassie was having WWE World Championship program. I see. Interesting, okay. huh? Yeah. That's already political, you know? Yeah. And that's why Buddy Rogers' name is not as big as he should be in Japan. And also, uh, the, the Nature Boy Barry Rogers and, and Antonino Rocca was two superstars, American superstars that never came to Japan. That's right. Yeah. 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 See, Freddie Blassie, Edward Carpentier, Luthes, Bruno San Martino, they all came to Japan. Mm. But it was before the, the before the, the this exchange of just big time business and wrestling, you know, American wrestler traveling back and forth. Time. It was before that. Antonino Rocca, Argentine Rocca was superstar in East Coast area, never went to Japan. Nature Boy Barry Rogers, one of the su biggest superstars of the time, right? Hmm. Never came to Japan. Hmm. Yeah. 
But uh, upon second return, second time return, Baba had a title match at Madison Square Garden again. Uh, I believe it was a February of 1964. New WWF world champion Bruno San Martino. Uh, the title match was Carfew ending, I think. <laughs> Interesting, huh? Yeah. <clears throat> Carfew is that at the time, I think it was well into 70s, though, that the, it, the show had to stop at 11 o'clock at night. Okay, there was a curfew. Curfew. So the, therefore, match ends there. So this is like, kind of like a very convenient non, non-finish finish, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the, Baba had that title match against Bruno San Martino in New York City. And Olympia in Detroit, I believe. Uh, the name of the building is Olympia. That uh, Luthes against Baba title match. Baba didn't win. And then in Olympic Auditorium, uh, Freddy Blassie against Baba WWA world title match. Not once, but the, they did that the San Diego, Bakersfield, you know, the, the, all kinds that the California area too. Yeah, the, all up and down California. Because that was the territory. Mm-hmm. But the most important thing was that, that the Baba challenging all three different major leagues world championship upon his return was a big deal. So this was what, 64, 65 now? 64. 64. So he. Spring spring of 64, he came back to Japan for good. Yeah, to stay. So he kind of just went from being a rookie to a couple of years later, he was one, arguably one of the biggest in the world, biggest stars in the world. Yeah. In the industry. Baba chose not to go home right away when he heard the news of Ricky Dozan passing. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, Inoki was was Ricky Dozan when he you know when he passed. I see. Yeah, but the Baba was already traveling in America, and heard the news that uh, all kinds of news, right? Like Ricky Dozan passing, but there ain't gonna be any wrestling uh, in Japan anymore. Stay in America, you know. That uh, why don't you get a green card and stay in America forever, mm-hmm. or? that he should go back to Japan and probably call it quit and open the travel agent or something. That was another <laughs> idea Baba had. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Imagine yeah. that. Yeah, that too. And also, but the, he had to come back to Japan the following spring to see what it's like. Because Japan, Nippon Pro Wrestling, JWA, after Rikidozan was run by four wrestlers. Yoshino Sato, Michiaki Yoshimura, Kokichi Endo, and Toyonobori. Mm-hmm. Four guys, like a quartet, that they were the four wrestlers, all Rikidos and Prologé. But the, after Rikidos and passing, those four guys were running the company. But they were making just as much money. That's what thing was start going wrong now. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. First, Toyonobori get he kicked out of the company and mm. following year that Toyonobori recruits returning Antonio Inoki and hijacked him in Hawaii to start Tokyo Pro Wrestling. Remember? Mm-hmm. Yes. <clears throat> Baba, author in 64, start headlining, you know, that the Baba and Toyonobori as a tag team champion, Asian tag team champion, and also in year 1965, they revived international heavyweight title 
which Ricky Dozer held until his passing, that they revived an <clears throat> international heavyweight title and had a tournament, and naturally, Baba became the champion. So he international came back, heavyweight, yeah. and he, he started to, uh, you know... Yeah, not the office or promotion or the company side of the business, but he was the ace, you know, that the sole headliner superstar of Japan Pro Wrestling, Nippon Pro Wrestling. I believe it was pretty much happy period for wrestler Baba, huh? Because being international champion and uh, Friday night eight o'clock headliner, you know, primetime wrestling, and now international champion and also a television star. And he was in all kinds of TV, not just wrestling TV, but he was in TV commercial, game show, variety show. You know, Japan is like a variety show of heaven, huh? Sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, the real stupid, you know, the, the network, sh- you know, primetime show they have. Yeah, late night, kind of like a Saturday Night Live, you know, there's comedy. And yeah, and- or the Jeopardy quiz show type of thing. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he must have he, been, like, in the, you could say it's the prime of his uh, in-ring career. Yeah, and plus 1967 and that 1968, WW, then WWF, world champion Bruno San Martino, then NWA world champion Gene Koniski. They, two years in a row, they came over to have single match against Giant Baba, but neither San Martino or Gene Koniski defending their WWF title or NWA title, they challenged Baba's international heavyweight champion. So they made it like, you know, for the for Japanese audience, Baba was a champion defending title his title against these American superstar instead of Baba challenging WWF title or NWA title. Mm. Does that make sense? And it probably gave a lot of legitimacy to Baba <clears throat> and uh, who he was bringing into the crowd in Japan. And also made the international heavyweight championship equal to those American major leagues titles. Mm-hmm. I guess this yeah. is what you were talking about with the, saying uh, Baba represented the establishment, the already uh, established uh, status quo of wrestling in the world, wrestling in North America. And uh, Baba was connected to that. He was an international, uh, he was an international traveler, the, the would-be travel agent. He holds the Ricky Dozen's international heavyweight title as a uh, rightful that uh, the heir, yeah, he inherited yeah. it from uh, from the Ricky Dozon who passed, and again, I'm sure yeah. that helped the right, rightful choice of your superstar, mm-hmm. and that organic yeah. kind of uh, passing of the torch, and natural baby face in the ring. Yeah. yeah, when you we were talking about it earlier, Baba the Giant as a heel, it's really you know it's hard for me to look at him as a heel because he. Uh, he doesn't look like a mean person ever. He's just big. He, he just he does yeah, but have 1963 that. Uh, version of Baba the Giant in America, barefooted, right. karate chops. You yeah. sent me a picture with it. He was wearing uh, just the trunks and no shoes, no uh, no boots. Yeah, and they walk around New York City with a kimono. <laughs> mm, wow. You know, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, superstar. But in early 60s. In wrestling ring, in stereotype mentality, right? Japanese wrestlers wore heels, so you didn't have to do as much uh, with your personality. It was just well, he didn't have to work in. dirty, yeah. Right, right, yeah. Right, he was. But he the, was that's when 
that's when he learned the business. Baby mm. face and heels, ethnic heroes like Bruno San Martino. He was also friends with Pedro, young Pedro Morales. Mm -hmm. That is another myth that uh, Pedro Morales was the one who taught Jan Baba how to drop kick. Yeah, that was Good from story, the comic huh? books, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's another couple of different theories. So, you know, it was comic book. And there's another story. There's a karate man from, you know, in, in LA, karate dojo, not a wrestler, but this man taught Jan Baba how to do the drop kick. And this is quite a few different stories. <laughs> a lot of, you know, a lot of different people want to take credit for it. He's almost kind of like a, uh, like a, a legend, like a, a, in, in the state, like a folk hero. Like in the States, we have yeah, Paul Bunyan. Yeah, no, Paul Bunyan. Or, Paul yeah. Bunyan, yeah. Or, or yeah, modern day Paul Bunyan, yeah. right. Because a lot of people want to take credit. I did this for Baba, I did that for Baba, right? Mm -hmm. And Baba was very humble, quiet person that he just sat and never really denied it or said yes to it either. He was like, well, it's all up to you, right? Mm. But he operated wrestling business like that. His interview was always like sport interview mm -hmm. you know now today's wrestling wrestlers interview you know i want to win people might laugh right sure yeah <laughs> but, but it's the style it, that's <clears throat> developed over the years there's a kind of like a template uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's the pro wrestling style interview whereas i guess you're saying that this is more of like it's like you would watch it after a baseball game or a soccer game yeah yeah but the baba was that he's like a quiet king, gentleman kind of th you know superstar. And then if you watch Friday night, you know Channel Four, JWA Nippon Pro Wrestling show, the Baba will have this all year long. Baba against Bruno San Martino, the Bruno, Baba against Jim Kaniski, the Baba against Bruiser, the Baba against Bruiser, the Crusher. The, um, you, you have all, all these top-notch American superstar, one after another, coming in, challenge Baba's international heavyweight title, and Baba wins. Mm. I mean, he, very late 16 to early 70s formula, right? Much uh, like Bruno San Martino. When, oh, did, when did Baba start uh, wrestling uh, the more maniacal wrestling heels like Abdullah the Butcher or... Um... You know, uh, was that later 70s. on? 70s, okay. 70s, so, 70s, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, well, I okay, mean, we six. can we can start talking. You know, next week we're going to have to talk about the, the 70s run because, I, you okay. know. Okay, let's end with this one. April of 1967. Mm. April of 1967. Now, star. Antonio Inoki returns to JWA after Tokyo Pro Wrestling went down. That was the year BI Platoon was created. Mm. Giant Baba and Antonio Inoki tag team. Soon enough, Inoki and Baba, BI Platoon. So Baba, obviously, above, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, BI Platoon becomes international tag team champion for next five-year period. Like a mega team. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh, well, we got to wrap up around here now, huh? 
Yeah, let's wrap it up here, and we'll, next time we'll pick it up from the late '60s with B.I. Platoon, and then uh, more work uh, with you know and two NWA network stations. Yeah, two network stations start carrying JWA wrestling, and Baba only appears on Channel Four, and Inoki appears on both Channel Four and Channel Ten. But that made Inoki a single superstar too, and back there, wrestling fans' mind, who is actually better, Inoki or Baba? Hmm. And pretty soon, New Japan and Old Japan. Yeah, and I, I'm sure next week we'll have to really start talking about NTV and and this also the war T- between the, and, yeah. yeah two different stations yeah K- kind of its own rivalry in itself too and and the wrestlers were part yeah of and that. then the old farts from JWA promoters <laughs> that uh, dip double dipping right sure so, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah okay. All right, well, let's wrap it up. So that and that was uh, that's just part one. We have a lot more to go, so don't worry. Uh, yeah, I'll do that. Okay, so let's see you next week for who me. What can we say? Uh, so long from Tokyo. All right. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.